Welcome to the Awakening Podcast Network. Get ready for an inspiring audio from this cutting-edge voice. You can find more podcasts at awakeningpodcasts.com. You want to go deeper? Get equipped to overcome and walk in God's purpose for your life at Awakening House of Prayer's online campus. You'll experience an online family, preaching, teaching, and prophetic impartation for victorious living. We have over a thousand members online hungry for what God is saying and doing in the earth. Visit ahop.online today and join our family. AHOP TV empowers believers with spirit-inspired messages and strategic equipping that accelerates your spiritual growth. You can subscribe to stream weekly content from Awakening House of Prayer, conferences, and other exclusive content to stir your hunger and encourage your heart. Visit us online at ahop.tv. Welcome to a night of empowerment. This is the Four Points Broadcast with Dr. Cindy Trim. I'm Pastor Ryan. We're so glad you tuned in. Why don't you go ahead and hit that share button right now. Let all of your friends and family be empowered by the same message. This is, uh, this is the ending out of a series. We've been in the eight stages of spiritual maturation. And it's been transform- transformative. We went through each stage, and this can apply to every area of your life. If there's a message that you missed, you can go back right now and watch it on demand on the Cindy Trim app. We're so excited to offer that to you. It's empowerment at your fingertips every single day. And so we we don't want to waste any more time. This is going to be transformational for you tonight. I want everybody to put your hands together for Dr. Cindy Trim. so happy to be doing life with you, particularly with this, with the teaching on spiritual maturation. We are talking about the eighth stage of spiritual maturation. We have so much we want to share today. So let us just go directly into prayer. Our Father and our God, we give you praise and honor and glory. And this is the day that you have made. We are rejoicing and we are glad in it. We pray according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 to 23, that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of your calling and what is the riches of your glory and the inheritance of the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe according to the working of your mighty power, which was wrought in Christ Jesus when you raised him from the dead and you set him at the right hand in the heavenly place as far about principalities and powers and mights and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come. And you have put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Amen. And so, Father, I pray now for a special anointing. Let the anointing uh, over me be fresh. Let the anointing drip. Let the anointing break yokes. Father, I thank you that we are sitting under an open heaven, that we would receive downloads and strategies and insights, hallelujah, pertaining to the kingdom, that we would be able to apply to our lives, that, that truly we would be able to maximize our potential and, Father, fulfill your original plan and purpose. I pray that no one would leave like they came in Jesus name father that whom the sun sets free is free indeed I decree and declare we are being 
liberated tonight. Let your anointing that breaks yoke liberate us. Let us, Father, leave this teaching and finish this teaching empowered to go on, hallelujah, in the process of spiritual maturation until you appoint us as spiritual mothers and fathers. I decree and declare that your good hand will be upon us and your heavy hand of favor, hallelujah, will ignite our spirit that indeed we will fulfill your original plan and purpose according to your divine timetable. Synchronize us, syncopate us according to your original plan and purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 20 to 22, we want to address you uh, particularly with the eighth stage of spiritual maturation. And again, the eight stages are available to you um, in this entire series. And if you've missed any of the other stages, they are made available to you. Luke chapter 15, verse 20, and I'm going to read it until um, I sense the Holy Spirit wants me to stop. This is speaking about the prodigal son after he he had hit rock bottom. The Bible said that he arose or he elevated, he was elevated to operate in a different, higher dimension than what he was when he hit rock bottom. He arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. In other words, he was willing to take 100% responsibility for his actions and I'm no longer worthy to be called son and that's that word we us but the father said to his his servants bring forth the best robe and put on him and put on him a ring on his hand and and put on him shoes on his feet and bring hither the fetid calf and kill it and let us eat and and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant and he said unto him thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fetid calf because he hath received him safe and sound and he was angry and would not go in therefore came his father out and entreated him you notice the father is always connecting to the son and and he answered and said to his father lo these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy, uh, uh, thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. And, and, and this is concerning. This is, this, this is really, that, that, that statement really concerns me. But as soon as this thy son was come, not my brother, and so you see the level of competition. This thy son, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed him, killed for him the fetid calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. There's no need to compete. You've been here. You've been working. And I've noticed it, but you have access. 
In other words, when it comes to the kingdom, God does not have stepsons and step stepdaughters. We are all sons and daughters of the most high God. And he's going to treat us all. There, there's no partiality. He's going to treat us all the same. It was, was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this day. This thy brother. Look at this. He has your DNA. You, you, you don't need to compete for for what you already have. You already have me. You already have access. You've got everything. And so because you see someone getting something in the kingdom, you don't compete with them. It's not necessary. Your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And we should be happy for that. In other words, I see you too. I, I don't not only see him, but I see you too. And he was driven. He was driven. He was driven by activities. And activities was more important than his relationship, his covenant relationship that he should have had with his brother. And he disconnected. He made a decision to disconnect because it was competition. Now, God has a place for you, a space for you, a race for you, a grace for you. He does. He has a place and a space and a grace and a race. But you've got to keep your own pace. God has a rhythm for you. And you don't need to compete with anyone else. Today I want to focus on the father of the prodigal son. And not the prodigal son. Or not even his brother. Look at verse number 20. The Bible said he arose, came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, and fell on his neck and kissed him. So the prodigal son's father demonstrates to us what covenant looks like. There are 12 characteristics of covenant that should be established within this type of relationship. The relationship of a spiritual mother and father with their spiritual son and daughter. 12 covenants or 12 characteristics of covenant. And so when we talk about spiritual maturation, especially at stage number eight, where we're talking about spiritual mothers and fathers, where you're able to now produce spiritual sons and daughters of your own. It is very important that it starts with covenant and it's going to end with covenant. Everything rises and falls on, in, in, in that type of relationship on covenant. Now, there are 12 characteristics of covenant. Number one, there's the covenant of trust. And this is the covenant where relationships should operate where relationships should operate with the highest trust, significantly outperforming those with the lowest trust. So those with the highest trust in terms of relationship, they outperform those relationships that have low trust. It means that I trust you with my problems. I trust you with my dreams. I trust you that, that, that you know what I need. I trust you. This is to affirm when you have trust, it affirms your worth to me as a person. In other words, I need you and I can rely on you when I say those words. Trust has to be earned, but it also has to be developed. And it's earned and developed over time and by action, which is essential for any good relationship. Without trust, 
You cannot sustain this type of relationship, let alone other relationships. But because we're talking about spiritual sons, spiritual daughters, without that level of trust, that relationship will disintegrate. Now, if, if, if trust doesn't come into the picture over a period of time, that relationship is going to disintegrate. So they're going to be excited at the beginning. You're going to be excited about them. They're going to be excited about you. But if trust is not cultivated, trust is earned and trust is developed over time. To be trusted is the greatest compliment. And trust trumps love. In other words, you can love someone that you don't trust. And I know parents who love their sons, but they don't trust them. They, 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 they say, you know, you could come as long as I'm here. Don't go in my bedroom. Don't go further than the living room. And they're going to keep an eye. Where are you going? And they're going to follow. They love their sons, but they don't trust their son. You see, it's one thing for us to love God, but do we trust him? And this is important. There are certain people that I genuinely love, but I don't fully trust them. And it's not that they, they, they may not be trustworthy, but I have proven them. And then people that I love, when I talk about trust, I'm not talking about trusting you with a secret. I'm talking you tr about trusting you with my heart. That, that if, I, if I open up, if I, if I confide, if I show you who I really am, that you will not reject me. That's what I'm talking about. Because you need to have that trust. Can I trust you with my strengths? But can I trust you with my weaknesses as well? To trust someone doesn't mean we deny the reality of our experience with them. Because there are sometimes parents will make mistakes. So we don't just walk away to be able to say, well, you are not my parent anymore. Because you made a mistake when I was two years old. You forgot to change me. And I'm traumatized. <laughs> some, some people, you can, you can trust their heart. Watch this. You can trust their heart. You know they mean well, but you cannot trust their wisdom. Right. You right. can trust their heart, but they're not mature enough. So you cannot trust their maturity. You can trust their heart. But you cannot trust their perspective. You can trust their heart, but you cannot trust their opinion. You can trust their heart, but you cannot trust their motive. Why? Because motive is revealed over time. So I've got to test you and you've got to test me. And it's got to be tested over time. You could trust their heart, but you cannot trust their suggestions. You could trust their heart, but you cannot trust them. Why? Because they're underdeveloped. You could trust their intention, but not always their choices. Again, you can fully love someone but not fully trust them for various reasons. This is important. So it's a challenge at times for each one of us to fully trust God, though we say that we do. But you can truly, you, you, you can truly trust him. Why can you trust God? Why is it that you can trust God as your heavenly father? Let me give you a quick story. Growing up, I never grew up with a father who provided for me. So I couldn't rely on him. There was no credibility. There was no reliability. 
So when I became born again, when God made a promise to supply all my need according to his riches and glory, I said, God, you don't have to supply my need. Just give me the energy to work for myself because I had been working since I was eight years old. Are you with me? I, I, I had been in the grind, you know, beating the pavement since I was eight years old to provide for myself so I could trust God to save me. Uh-huh. I could trust God to heal me. Why? Because the doctors that I went to had credibility. Uh-huh. They were the authority. When I had a toothache, they fixed the toothache. When I had a knee ache, they fixed the knee ache. So I transferred the natural trust that I had in the natural, natural doctor to, and transferred that to God as my healer. Are you with me? Uh-huh. So I trusted him to be my healer. But look at this. Now trusting him to supply all my need according to his riches in glory took a while and it took years before I can trust God as my what provider so a lot of times when it comes to spiritual mothers and fathers whatever we experience in our first house we just transfer it to God's divine house And the way we responded to our natural spiritual mothers and fathers and people of authority, that's what we bring to God's house. Can I get a sure you're right? Because you ain't saying amen and your amen sounds suspicious. So we've got to first see God as our heavenly father and begin to trust him. And the reason why I know you can trust God because he's consistent, he's credible, he's reliable, and he has integrity. It was God that said in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Have he said it and shall he not do it? Or have he spoken it and shall he not make it good? In other words, if God said he's going to deliver you, he's going to deliver you and if you have not seen deliverance there's got to be some other factor mixed up with the equation but it ain't God there's something else going on in the realm of the spirit it may be me breaking laws it may be me deviating Are you with me? Taking another path. When my blessing is on this path, I may have opted to take another path. When God said to Elijah, go down by the brook called Cherith. Elijah could have said, I don't like brooks. I almost drowned in the brook. I'm traumatized in the brook. My daddy went to baptize me in a brook, and I thought I was going to die. I don't like brooks, so I'm going to hang out at the beach. Are you with me? There's something else that is going on. So every day, the raven would have came by the brook, and he would have been praying by the beach, believing that God did not supply all his need. Turn to your neighbor and say, get in place, get in place, get in place. Get in place. If your ship is going to come in, load it with blessings. Don't show up at the airport. I don't like ships. The last time I was in a ship with my brother, it flipped over and I almost drowned. Get in the boat. Your ship is going to come in. Are you following me? 
God is not a man. You can trust him. Therefore, when God assigns a spiritual father and mother, you've got to be able to trust God to work through them. You see, God will give you a pastor after his heart. That doesn't mean that, 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 that it's just about choosing. It's about that pastor seeking the heart of God for you. He's after his heart. God, what are you saying? What are you saying about this person? What are you saying about that person? Anybody that submits to me, I never treat two people the same. I got I to gotta check with God. God, what are you saying about this person? What are you saying about that person? Where are you taking that person? This is my prayer. And I can see in the future. And my job is to build capacity and character in you. It means that when you think I should let you go, I'm going to put pressure. I'm just going to lean. I want to see your breaking point. How far can I push you? How much do you want this? And a lot of us want the easy road. If you want the easy road, I'm not your girl. I'm really not. Because we don't have time. You've already wasted all these years. Who's got time? When people come into my life, I got to help you to figure out where you're going. I don't need to hear where you came from. You told that story to your girlfriend, your husband, your mother, your cousin, the lady that was standing in the bank that you didn't know. I'm not going to be the hundredth person to listen to your story. Let's, let, let me help you craft your vision. Help you to figure out where you're going and give you a strategy to get there. I'm your girl. I'm the strategist. But I'm not the one that you're going to sit and dump. You already dumped. All right. Are you with me? Yeah. If, 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 if you want someone to feel sorry for you, I'm not your girl. You have other people to feel sorry for you. If you want someone to tell you what's wrong with you, I'm not your girl. Why? Because I ain't looking. I'm about capacity building. I'm about pitching to your strength. You've got enemies that talk about your weakness. That's not my, my job. I'm not your enemy. Are you getting me? Yeah. <laughs> the first part of covenant is trust. You got to trust God and then trust God to use that person. And that's what you pray. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. But as we walk with him and get to know him as he really is, then we begin to trust him more, which, you know, is seen in, in, in the way we give up our control over our life to his control. You see, let me share something with you. One of the reasons why I tell people that you have to take 100% responsibility for your life 100%. Even the responsibility to give God control over your life. Are you with me? That is a decision you've got to make. And so your life is going to rise and fall in the, uh, between the uh, spectrum or between the continuum of success and failure based on decisions that you make. So you really have to decide to give up your control to God so that he can lead you so that you can. But that's a decision that you have to make every single day. So likewise, when it comes to submitting to a spiritual mother or father, that's a decision that you nobody has the right to make you submit. If they make you submit, it's called slavery. You're not a slave. You're a son. Are you with me? You're a son. 
You're not a slave. If a person takes your will away, I can't make a person show up at church. So I'm not going to stand up and try to condemn you. Uh I can give you 10 reasons, but you got to make a decision. Because when I walk away from this podium, guess what I have to do? I have to apply the same truth that I'm encouraging you to apply. I have to apply it. I have to walk it out. And so I cannot control your life. I can only say this is a great strategy. This is a strategy that I got from the Bible. And here's a financial strategy, a relational strategy. Here's a social strategy, marital strategy. Here's a health strategy. I extrapolate these principles out of the Bible. And if it worked for Jesus, it'll work for me. Are you with me? But I can only feed you, but you have to choose to eat. Yeah, you have to choose to eat. I could put it in front of you, but if you don't have the appetite, I cannot force feed you, right? We've got to be able to trust God. To trust God is one thing, but to trust God through people is another. Because we've been hurt so much. However, this is what is required at times to go to the next level of your spiritual growth and maturity. It is required. So what do you do? You've got to find someone that is walking what they talk. Number one, don't play games at this level because the anointing runs down. Number two, you've got to find someone who is mature, mature in all areas. We've been through spiritual maturation. You should know them by their fruit. You're not judging them. You're just examining their fruit. Number three, you've got to find someone that is integrous, that has integrity. Number four, you've got to find someone that is consistent, credible, and reliable. You've got to pray that God will give you spiritual parents, a spiritual mother, spiritual father, if you don't have it. You've got to be able to trust God in them and then submit. Submission is a mentality and an attitude, not an activity and actions. This is what happened with Samuel and Saul. Saul was in the process of developing a trusting relationship. He had to trust Samuel's word. And so look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's look at this, this trust relationship. The Bible said, Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over the people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. In in other words, the Lord is speaking through me to give you an instruction. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which, which, Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for them in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and women, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul, now this is an instruction. This is what the Lord is telling me to say to you. And and Saul gathered the people together, numbered them in Telem, 200,000 footmen, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Canaanites, go depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you, you, you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when thou came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from amongst the Amalekites. And Saul, small, and Saul smote the Amalek. Amalekites from Hevelah until thou comes to shore. 
that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spirit Agag. Now the instruction was kill everybody. But Saul and the people spirit Agag and the best of the sheep and of the ox. In other words, they obeyed partly. They obeyed, they, they obeyed partly. But because they were not submitted. Submission says, I, am, I, I obey totally, even if I don't understand. Because God honors that. Obedience is better than sacrifice, right? So God honors that. And Saul and the people's spirit, Agag, the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatling and the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was violent and, refu- and refuse that they destroyed utterly. So they picked and chose. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repent me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he has set up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, blessed be thou um, of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Self-deception is the worst deception. Write that down. Self-deception is the worst deception. And Samuel said, what meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in my ear and the lowing of the ox? So what's the animals? Bah! What, what, what is that? It, you, the proof is, the proof is right here. And Saul said, they have bought them. They have bought them. Not taking 100% responsibility. You're the leader. Now, this is important. If your man of God or woman of God appoints you to a position of leadership, you are 100% responsible for what happens. 100. So you cannot blame the people that are with you. You've got to take one. It didn't happen. Well, I told Rosemary and Rosemary had a flat tire and, and, and she didn't come and I was tired and I went. No, 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 no excuse. I decree and declare whatever God instructs you to do, you will have no excuse. No excuse. You're going to do it. This is a season of no excuses. No, you're not going to make any excuses. Now, <laughs> Samuel said to Saul, stay And I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on, (laughs) preach, man of God. You sure you want me to preach? And Samuel said, when thou was little in thy own sight. In other words, you you had a poor self-image. You were powerful. You were gifted. You had the capacity. But you lacked self-esteem. You were little in your own sight. Was thou not made the head of tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed the king over Israel to whom much is given, much is required. This is very important. And this is for all of us who God is promoting. There are some things that you can do when you're not in the process. But once God puts you in the process, you are going to have to now raise the standard on your performance. Others can, but you cannot. Others can dress a certain way, but you cannot. 
And this is going to be important. This is going to be important. I like fashion. But I'm not going to be wearing a tight skirt and tight this and tight that because it's fashion. Others can. But I cannot. Are you with me? So it's all about protocol. Say protocol. And decorum. Say decorum. So that means the way you speak, the way you talk, the way you operate is going to change. And someone has to raise the standard. Because if you are with me, you are going to be on brand. We do not dress that way. If you're part of Trim International, we don't dress that way. We don't talk that way. Well, just, that's just how I is. Well, you're going to change. You are going to change. Why? Because of where God is taking you. Are you with me? Now, that's fine, you know, when you're home, but you ain't home. You're not in your house. You're in God's house. And we're going to raise the standard. Are you with me? Say amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Power to the people. Say something. (laughs) The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until thou was consumed. And although you heard it from my mouth, the Lord instructed me to tell you. Now with my staff, I never have to say, you know, I was up all night praying and the Lord told me to tell you. Now if if I have to say that every time I speak to my staff, it simply means I'm trying to convince myself and not convincing you. And my staff should know if I instruct you, I have heard from God. I don't need to say the Lord showed me, the Lord told me. I'm just going to give you instructions. And the covenant of trust is going to begin to dictate that you trust me enough that I have heard from God. Say amen. Amen. I'm not going to manipulate my staff. Never. Never. I'm just going to instruct you. I don't, I don't have to show up in my office to supervise my staff. The time to show up is 9 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what time they show up, but God knows. Are you with me? So I don't pick up the telephone 9 o'clock to check on them. I trust them. And they trust me. Are you with me? I can do my thing. I don't have to go in the office. I save two and a half hours, close to three hours. Why? Because now I don't have to get up, curl my hair, put on my makeup, put on my clothes, which is an hour. (laughs) And then drive, which is a half an hour. Half an hour and a half an hour, one and a half hours, one and a half hours, three hours. I become three hours more productive because I trust my staff. Are you with me? They've earned it. They've earned it. If they tell me they have done something, as far as I'm concerned, they have done it. Now, they're going to be in hot water if they haven't. Why? Because I usually, someone says, can you do this? I call my staff. Can you do that? Yes. I can call them back. Consider it done. Now, if they forget, guess what happens? That's my credibility. So it goes two ways. And if it's my credibility, it's your credibility. I'm not going to trust you again. Now I got to supervise you. And I'm supervising you. Now I got to hire a supervisor. So it costs the kingdom money. Do you see that? 
When trust is corroded, it costs the kingdom money. He said, the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go. And that was the Lord speaking to you. Verse number 19. Wherefore, then dost thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but this fly upon the spoil and did evil in his sight. In other words, did evil means to sin. You deviated. You didn't come into alignment with his will. Now it defaults. It defaults into what? Failure. Because we are making what? Decisions. And Saul said to Samuel, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. What? I'm telling you that I just spoke to God. Now you're calling God a liar? Really? Turn to your neighbor and say, really? Really. And have gone the way, gone the way which the Lord sent me. No, you deviated from the path. And have bought Agag the king Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen. The chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sac- but you're the leader uh-huh. to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. Now, now you're justifying. Well, we did it, but but we were going to sacrifice it. Uh-huh. No, but 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 God didn't need your sacrifices. The sacrifice that God is looking for is what a broken and a contrite heart. Yes. That's what He's looking for, not the sheep. But he's looking for a broken and a contrite heart. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of the ram. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou has rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee to be king. In other words, you're fired. Now watch this. You have the crown. You have the throne. But you don't have God's favor. See, it's one thing for you to have all the titles, but it's yet another thing that you got God's favor. I would rather have God's favor and you keep calling me Sister Cindy than for you to be calling me Apostle Cindy and don't have the favor of God. Go after the favor of God. Drop all those titles. Are you with me? Don't go after the title. Go after the favor. Glory to God. And, and, and Saul said, Samuel, I have sinned. Yes, you have. You've deviated. But after you decided to justify, now that you're exposed, you know, what would have happened if he just took 100% responsibility at first? You could work with a person that takes, that takes personal responsibility. You can't work with a person that always blames someone else. You can't do nothing. With a person that does not take 100% responsibility. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I feared the people. Oh my God. And obeyed their voice. I would rather please the people. Let me share something with you about submission. You are always going to have people that want to take your place. And, it, it, and it's church politics, isn't it? They want to be where you are. You, you, you have this amazing opportunity and someone's going to whisper in your ear. And they're whispering because they're listening to the father of lies, the devil. You've got to know who's driving the spirit and the spirit behind an activity. Why is it hard to trust God through people? 
Why is it? Because that was Saul's problem. Saul's problem was, I know you're my spiritual father, but I can't trust you. So I'm going to do my own thing. And so why is it hard to trust God through people? God is good, but people are hurtful. They are guilty of betraying us. They are guilty of being undependable. They're guilty of being judgmental. They're guilty of being unforgiving. They're guilty of disappointing us. They are guilty of breaking their promises. They are guilty of unfulfilled expectations. People say one thing, they do another. And therefore, we don't trust God through people. We say we trust God, but we don't trust God through people. In order to submit, you got to be able to trust God through people. My first spiritual father died. He's different. He was different from my second spiritual father. But before he died, I was submitted over years. And he had this, he had, um, he was choleric. He was, he was in your face. He didn't bite his tongue. He was very strong. And I had to trust God through him. And he was tough. He was hard. And when I look back, I could see the wisdom of God. We talked before he died. And he, one of the things he said, you know, you had this great mind. I didn't know what to do with you. I just didn't do. And your mind frightened me. And I said, you know, I understand. But I submitted until he died. Why? Because it was not my responsibility to determine who he was. My responsibility was to submit to the God in him. It wasn't to judge him. And in hindsight, I needed his personality. Why? Because I had a strong personality. Remember, I was self-directed. And I had to learn how to submit to a male. Because I never had one in my life. And so he couldn't be a pushover. Why? Because I'd push him over. I'd run him over. Why? Because I was a takeover. Wherever I showed up, I was a leader. I'm going to lead even if I'm leading from behind. You could be in the front, but I'm leaving, leading from the back. I'm, I'm, I'm a born leader. So I didn't need any other type of personality but his. And what he cultivated in me was discipline. Because I was the one out of all his sons and daughters that had the global ministry. I was the one that would work in council with governors and, and presidents of countries. I was the one that was assigned to build cultures of empowerment, to help nations to thrive and to prosper. And if I didn't learn submission to God through this man of God, can you imagine I would be open game for every demonic spirit. I would not have the discipline that he gave me. And he set high standards. And I had to reach those standards. And I was in leadership early. I had grown men and women that followed me and submitted to me. But I had to submit to him. I was in lead. By, by the time I was 21, I was leading. By the time I was 30, I was advising countries. I was advising my government. I was, adv- I was advising. By the time I was 25 years old, I was consulting governments. Do you understand? 
But at 25, I had to learn submission to him because it was not about what God was doing through him in a local church. It was all about what God would do through me in the world. Are you getting this? To whom much is given, much is required. And you need the discipline and you need the cultivation. And he had this thing. I was busy. I was sitting on all kinds of boards, not only running the boards in my church, but I was sitting in boards in the community. I was busy. So that means that sometimes I would walk in a couple of minutes late and he would get me publicly. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you were advising. The meeting started at seven o'clock and it's one minute past seven. It's 30 seconds past seven. 30 seconds. I'm a busy woman. I'm busy. There's nobody else in this church that's as busy as me. But you're going to show up. You're going to discipline. And now guess what? I have so many deadlines. And, and, and one, uh, one uh, is interrelated to another. So if I miss this deadline, I miss this deadline, I miss this deadline, I miss this opportunity. It's all about timing, baby. Yeah. And he drilled it in me. Yeah. Drilled it, drilled it, kept drilling it in me. That's the only thing he could get me on. And he would, uh, he would insult me publicly. Mm. I mean, publicly. Now, now in, uh, everybody else, I, you know, I'm hooking you up. And you're going to do what? And, uh, and you're going to want me to do what? <laughs> but guess what? When I, when, when I was interviewed on CNN, <laughs> guess what? People were doing what? They came after me. And guess what? I was cool. Why? Because I had already had the capacity developed in me. Are you with me? You don't, you, you don't judge a person's personality. You just submit. That's between you and God. If he chose you, then I'm cool with that. You know, it's like Balaam saying to the donkey, you're a donkey. You can't prophesy. But he had to what? Submit. Because God was what? Using the donkey. So if God could use a donkey, he could use anybody he wants. That's his sovereignty. I don't, I don't know what he did with his personal life. Mine was to submit so that I can be developed. Amen? I don't go on witch hunts, hunts with people. I don't. I don't know what you're doing. Don't ask me. I don't know. Why? I'm not interested. I'm interested in God. Most of the things we have experienced in some measure growing up in our first house. When we see it in God's house, it scares us and it makes us suspicious. So we develop surface relationships, but never deep relationships. We don't develop it. We're never going to be vulnerable. And if you're not naked and vulnerable, how can we help you? We don't know what we're working with. Uh Now, it's not like you're going to have this dump and spew it out. It's just that you've got to allow God to reach that deep part in you. And and when he reaches it, you're going to say, ouch. And you're going to know, okay, God, you put your thumb on this. This is what you want to work on. The essence and beauty of hope is found In what? Trust. You're going to trust God. And when trust is corroded, we become hopeless. And there's a lot of hopeless. I don't don't know about the church. 
We don't believe anymore. Most people don't have faith in themselves, so they don't have faith in others. Most people don't have a vision for themselves, so they don't develop this skill to help anyone else with their vision. Most people don't have someone who believes in them. Most people will do anything to live up to the expectation of a man or woman who just believes in them. Mm. And they'll do anything to, to, to live up to that expectation. So we've got to be able to raise our expectations to be able to say to a person, this is where you are and this is where God wants you to be. And I know it's a leap of faith, but you can do it. Trust starts with God. Psalm 37 says, trust in the Lord and do good. So shall thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not to thy own understanding. So the first covenant is a covenant of trust and it has to be developed. And that's hard if you would admit it. If each one of you would admit it. You trust very few people. And some of you don't even trust yourself. You need accountability. Like, I don't trust myself in a fine restaurant to stay on a diet. So what do I need? Accountability. Because if they put it in front of me, I'm going to eat it. Let me taste this. I know I don't eat potatoes, but it's potato. I'm going to try a little potato salad, a little macaroni. Why? Because I don't really trust myself at this stage to be able to go up when there's a banquet to just get the salad and to get. Now, if all that's there is salad and grilled chicken, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to take pictures. Yes, I stayed on my diet, right? (laughs) But if you put me in a banquet, what? And they got desserts here and chicken and steak, especially if it's a ribeye. I just discovered ribeye steak one month ago because I would only eat filet mignon. I would not eat it. I wouldn't eat any other cut. I didn't want any other cut until they ran out of filet mignon. And I said, well, I'll take the ribeye. That ribeye was delicious. I threw the filet mignon to the side. I don't care if it's the best cut. Are you with me? So because I don't trust myself in this area, guess what? I don't lie to myself. So I have accountability. I call a friend that's on the same journey. And then I have a coach. And and, and, and they put pressure on me. And so I got accountability mechanisms all around me. And I don't put the food in my house. Where I could just say, oh, I fell off the bandwagon. No, you push your own self. (laughs) You jumped. You didn't fall, you jumped. And so with us, your spiritual mother and father is there for accountability purposes, but you've got to trust them. Number two, let me go through this really fast. The second covenant is the covenant of unconditional positive regard. Most people that we mentor and cover are, are unperfect and they may even resist change. But anyone can change if they're willing and if they want to, but you just have to have the, the, the patience. 
And you've got to love that person. You've got to love their strengths, but you also have to love them with their weaknesses. And there are some individuals that you're going to be, be able to develop and they're going to be high flyers and they're going to be submitted. And whatever you tell them, they're going to be like a Paul. But then you're going to have some Peters as well. And you've got to be able to discern those that you are challenged with. And you've got to believe in them just like you believe in those high flyers and those gold medalists. You've got to believe in them. And there are some, some stallions that are wild. They're going to win the race eventually. But when you go into the stable, you've got to shovel some stuff. Right. But they're a stallion. You cannot raise stallions without shoveling stuff. Are you with me? So you've got to ask yourself certain questions. Is what they are doing or how they are acting, is it as a result of immaturity or impurity or ignorance or fear or timing? So once you ask those questions, you're able to elicit from them the answer. If it is impurity, it must be confronted in love and Help them to repent of it. If it is immaturity, we've got to demonstrate patience and long-suffering. If it is ignorance, we have to give them wisdom and instruction. And in instructing, we have to be patient with them as we mentor them into maturity. So mentorship is for maturity. We've got to believe in them before they succeed. We've got to believe in them before they make it. We've got to believe in them before they become somebody. You can't believe in them after they succeed and after they make it and after they become somebody. Believe in them when they don't have it together, when they're immature, when they're immature, and when they're impure, when they're ignorant, when they're fearful, and when they move out of timing. You've got to be able to love them unconditionally. And this is what happened. This is what happened with Jesus. This is what happened also with, with Jesus and Peter, loving them unconditionally. Everybody loves a winner when they live. Yeah. But, but, but how about the st stallion that we got to go in and we got to shovel the stuff. We got to shovel the dirt. We got to shovel the poo-poo. Yeah. We got to still say, look, I believe in you and I'm going to shovel this until you get your breakthrough. You've got to believe in the person. The next one is you provide a covenant of covering. No matter where you are, no matter what you are doing, as long as you submit, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you in the realm of the spirit. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to make sure that there's a hedge of protection around you. I'm going to make sure that you're covered. The next covenant is a covenant of cultivation where you are able to see beyond personal needs and use and, 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 and gifts and, 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 and cultivate the gifts and the talents to create the, a, a dynamic environment that they could thrive. And so when you cultivate a person, you create the environment, you give them the tools, you give them the wisdom, you give them the instructions and principles so that they can succeed. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of man. I'm going to create the environment. I'm going to give you the tools. I'm going to give you the testing. I'm going to give you on-the-job training. Now, there, there are some people that will come in, I tell you, they'll be like a bull in a china closet. 
But eventually they get it right. Everything is broken around them. But you're going to cultivate them because I'm going to make you means that it's a process. It means that they're not going to start like that, but they're going to finish like that. So that means that a spiritual father and mother, they are empowerment specialists. They empower others for greatness. They empower others to succeed. They empower others to become influencers, affluent. They empower others to do. They empower others to believe in themselves, their ability. They empower others to become. They empower others to achieve. They're not the only one succeeding. They're not the only one prospering. They're not the only one with influence. They're not the only one that's out there. They're not the only ones with a platform. They're not the only one that, that is achieving. They are building an environment and providing an environment and tools for everyone that is submitted to them to become great, to succeed, to influence, to become, and to achieve. That's the responsibility of a spiritual father and mother. So that means that the people that follow you as a spiritual mother, spiritual father, that follow you as a leader eventually is going to have your spirit. It means that they're going to duplicate what they saw you do with the next generation. And trust me, we don't need another generation of dysfunctional leaders. The buck has to stop here. You notice where I'm pointing? The buck stops with me. I'm not responsible for any other leader. I'm responsible for myself. And I've determined that the box, buck is going to stop here. Because when people feel connected to your personhood, your passion, your purpose, and principle, then they can change. But if they're disconnected by that, they cannot change. And they will connect to you when they feel you are sincere about cultivating them. Number three, there's the covenant of affirmation, which grows out of unconditional positive regard, respect. And this is not respect for, for us being alike. It's a respect for our differences. Yeah. I have the most amazing staff. They are amazing. Amazing. But their perspectives are different. And their experiences are different. And when we meet together, especially when we, we, we elevate or we uh, escalate um, strategy, to a high level, and we sit around the table, they, they have to challenge my thoughts and my opinion. And they're invited to respectfully. Now, if they, if they disrespect, if they try to disrespect me, that's another thing. They'll see another, another side of Cindy Tripp. Are you with me? But respectfully, and they have, to be, they, have to be, they have to be comfortable enough to know that she's not going to shoot me down and she's not going to think that I'm disrespectful. I want to hear your opinion. But make sure that it's strong enough. Now, if you're wishy-washy, I'm going to shut you down. No, I, I can't listen to you. Why? Because you don't even believe in your opinion. But I want you to be strong enough. Tell me why. Don't tell me because I feel it. I feel stuff too. Yeah. I feel like I'm a size two, but I'm not. <laughs> Are you with me? I don't want to hear feelings. I want you to rationalize it. Take me through a rational argument. But if your argument is not rational, I'm going to shoot you down. I'm going to put pressure on you publicly. Are you with me? Now, what am I doing? Building what? Capacity. But they, I can do that with them. And then we go to dinner. We laughed afterwards. Why? They don't have an attitude because it wasn't personal. Yeah. 
I'm your leader. I'm going to build capacity because I may like you, but when God sends you out to the world and you have to present before people that don't think like you, that don't believe in God, you cannot have your feelings hurt. You've got to be able to stand flat foot and have your face, you know, like flint. So let's test our ideas in here. You're not just going to present your ideas and it's not tested. Are you with me? Yes. You test my, I'm going to test yours too. Uh-huh. But they're brilliant. But their ideas are not always like my ideas. Yeah. I'm not going to shoot them down and make them feel the same way I feel. I don't want that. I don't want you to parrot what I just said. That's I agree I- with you. Well, what do you agree? Tell me why you agree. Right. I was the one that processed this. I've been thinking about this for 18 months. Yeah. Why do you agree? Give me a rational reason why you agree with me. Yeah. Well, I understand. Tell me what you understand. What, what, what's your context? I don't understand your context. Tell me what your context is. And then I can understand you. But I'm not going to sit here and say I understand you because I understand words. Your words are coming from a context. Are you with me? And likewise, when I, when, when, I, when I mentor people, I have a context. And I am obligated to share with you and tell you what my context is. Uh-huh. I can't just tell you to do it and you don't know what my context is. That means all the work is here. Uh-huh. The, very few work is done there. Uh-huh. All the work starts here. And I do 80% of the work. You do 20. Yeah. By the time you execute, execution is 20% of the task. The heavy-duty work, I do. Yeah. And then the execution, so don't tell me you're tired. You want to see tired? Do what I do. Uh-huh. Fight the demons and the devils and get the download and lead. Yeah. You just have to execute. And go home and go to sleep. Are you following me? I'm hoping I, I'm giving you an understanding. If you're going to lead, you got to work. You got to work on yourself. You, you, you cannot take people where you've never been. You can't lead. Where you lead me? You've never been there. You got to go first. Turn to your neighbor and say, you go first. You got all the ideas, you go first. You got all the suggestions, you go. Be my guest. Be my guest. Be my guest. Covenant of affirmation. You got to affirm people. You got to respect differences. You got to affirm them professionally as well as personally. You've got to esteem them. You've got to recognize that, look, these are professionals. Your sons and your daughters are grown adults. So when they walk away, you know, what am I going to do with a 60-year-old woman? Talking about you're my son, you're my daughter. Okay, fine, but that's spiritual. Right. Now, I'm, I'm not expecting you to walk up to me crying as a 60-year-old. Right. I'm expecting you to be able to express to me what is happening. Uh-huh. So before the tears come, talk first. Don't walk. I can't do anything with that. 
I, I, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. Are you with me? You are an adult. Repeat after me. I'm a grown woman. I'm a grown man. If you're a man, I'm a grown man. You're grown. So when we say spiritual, what do we mean? I'm not your real mama. I don't pay your bills. I'm spiritual. So I'm going to deal with the spiritual aspect of your life, whether it's vision or dreams or whether it is your core values or your ethical behavior. All of those are spiritual, whether it is you prospering or building wealth. Wealth building is spiritual. That's my area of expertise, honey. (laughs) Creating wealth. I can help you create wealth. I do it every single day. Are you with me? All of those are spiritual elements. So that's what I get involved with. I don't get involved with your, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Are, are you with me? This natural stuff? I'm not, I'm not going to pitch low like that. I don't, I don't need to know your business. I don't need you to sit down and tell me, you know, your whole, I don't want to know. I'm attached to your future, not your past. I need, I need a help to get you there, put you there. Let me help you. Let me hurry through this. Even as you de- desire to be known, other people desire to be known as well. Even as you desire to be respected, other people desire to be respected. Even as you desire to be acknowledged, other people desire to be acknowledged as well. A leader, me, I have to say, I see you. I acknowledge you. You acknowledge me, yes, but I got to acknowledge you too. It takes nothing for me to acknowledge you, to be able to say you're great, you're talented, I appreciate you, to be able to stop, to find out how you doing. Are you with me? Glory to God. I want you to understand my perspective, but I want to try to understand yours as well. I want to hear your perspective. I want to see you as a vital contributing member of the team. I want, I want to know where you want to go. I want to draw out the best thoughts out of you, the best ideas, the best perspective. I want to draw the best out of you. And there is nothing you have done or will do that will make me withdraw. This is where we need nothing you have done or will do. This is why covenant is important. I don't just capriciously cut covenant with people. Why? Because they're going to do some things. And guess what? I got to be there. I may not understand, but I got to be there. But you've got to be able to trust me now to give you honest, constructive feedback back. But my honest, constructive feedback doesn't have to cut you. It can affirm you as it challenges you to change. I know you can do it. Father, I've sinned. All right. I acknowledge that. But I know you can do it. And there's there's a reason why we know that the relationship was built on affirming him. Because the father said, great, I accept it. Now, I got a robe for you. I got a ring for you. And I got some sandals for you. In other words, he was affirming his greatness. Even though you fell through ignorance, I'm affirming your greatness. I've already seen seen you in your finished state. And it's too late for you to change my mind. Your behavior doesn't change my mind. It can change your destiny, 
but it will not change my mind. I'm going to say it again. Your behavior has the power to change your destiny, but it won't change my mind about you. It won't change my commitment to you. Are you with me? Then there's the co- a covenant of availability. Anything I have, my time, my energy, my insight, my education, my wisdom, my perspective, my experience, but not my money, <clears throat> is at your disposal. <laughs> if you need it to the limit of my resources, listen to this. If you need it to the limit of my resources. In other words, I only have 24 hours in the day. So I have, I'm obligated to other individuals. I'm obligated to myself. I'm obligated to my family. So I may give you 24 hours today, but I not, may not be able to give it to you tomorrow. Right. Are you with me? Yeah. Uh-huh. So to the limit of my resources, here you got it. Uh-huh. I give these to you in a priority of covenant over, watch this, over other non-covenant demands. You got to get this. To the degree that your demands are being made and it's within the covenant, you have access But if it is a non-covenant demand, I am not obligated to give it to you. Are you with me? If it is a non-covenant demand, you don't have to give it to me and I don't have to give it to you. Uh Are you with me? Now, there's some things I want to say, but I can say. (laughs) If it is non-covenant. I am not obligated to give it to you, and you are not obligated to give it to me. Do I need to make myself any clearer? You got to be able to say that's non-covenant now. You're making a demand, but it's non-covenant. So as a part of my covenant, I pledge my time on a regular basis, whether it's in prayer or agreed upon meeting. Agreed upon meeting. Then there's the covenant of prayer. Covenant to pray for you. On regular, on regular basis. Believing that our caring father. Wishes his children to pray. For one another. I'm going to pray for you. Let me throw a few more. The covenant of prayer. There's the covenant of openness. You got to be open with me. I can't defend you. If I don't know it. I, I, I can't help you if you don't show it so there's got to be some disclosing and some owning of your feelings you 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 you've got to own your struggles and own your ideas and own your decision but then you've got to be open you've got to be own it but you it's got to be open and if i get offended or you get offended you've got to own that as well and you got to own your hurts and you can't act like it's not. To the degree that I'm able to say that I'm open, it means that I value honesty. I value transparency. I value integrity. Because these are critical components of a healthy relationship. It means that when I'm open, I'm simply saying, I don't want to move on without you. I don't. There's a covenant of honesty. I've got to be honest. And then honesty simply means I've got to mirror back to you what I hear you saying and feeling. I've got to mirror it back. 
It means risking pain for either of us. It means that there are some times when you tell the truth and you tell the truth in love, it hurts. But it hurts for a short time. But after it hurts, it will heal and you'll be a better person. But in telling the truth and being honest, I also have a covenant of sensitivity. I've got to be sensitive to the timing of the Lord, sensitive to where you are, sensitive to your capacity. Then there's the covenant of confidentiality. I promise to keep whatever is shared within the confines of our relationship or the group in order to provide the atmosphere of openness. And this is necessary for healthy relationship because if someone expresses themselves and then they hear it in the street, then they're going to shut down. And if they hear it over the pulpit, then they're going to shut down. Don't use me (laughs) to air out your dirty laundry. Then there's the covenant of accountability. Accountability means that you have gifts and talents. You have destiny. You have purpose. You have an assignment. And I'm going to hold you accountable to it. If you told me that God wants you to be an author and you haven't wrote, written a book and it's 30 years that passed and I haven't held you accountable for that, I'm helping you to sabotage yourself. But if this is what God has called you to do, I'm going to hold you accountable to do it. Then there's the covenant of consensus. Whenever you have sons and daughters, and there's multiple sons and daughters, we can create incredible success if we all weigh in. Two heads are better than one. Imagine what we could do with three or four or five or six. We're building consensus. When it comes to being a spiritual father, You've got, or a spiritual mother, or maid or pater. It starts with covenant, in conclusion. When we talk about spiritual sons and daughters, the greatest model was given to us by Jesus Christ. He said, when you pray, pray our Father. From this particular prayer, I understand that what Jesus came to do was to reveal the Father. As it is with the Heavenly Father, so it is with our spiritual fathers. Fathers should desire healthy family, community, that their children flourish, that their family is provided for, that their children are protected, that their children know that they're loved, that their children prosper, that they have a special place in their father's heart, and that they have a mother that is honored and taken care of by the father, and that children should know that their father has left them with an inheritance. Once you get a revelation of the Father's heart for you, you'll have a greater revelation of the responsibility of spiritual fathers and mothers. The Father is the cornerstone of civilization. If you dismantle the spiritual father's role in the church and in your life, the very foundation that you're building upon is shaky and eventually will collapse. What God is doing now He's restoring the heart of the father. He's restoring the spirit of Elijah. The hearts of the sons and daughters are going to be turned back to the, to the fathers and to the mothers. Why? Because the nature of the father is to bless. The nature of the father is to provide. And you have a heavenly father that does. We call him Abba Father. Abba, Pater. 
And when you have an Abba father, you're talking about a progenitor. And this is important for us to understand as we end our teaching on spiritual maturation, particularly as it relates to the father. A father is a progenitor. That word pro for it means to support and uphold as to produce something that moves forward. Pro means before or is a force that pushes something forward. Progenitor. The force that pushes you forward. Progenitor. The force that pushes you forward. And generate means to begin. So if you're going to begin the eight stages of spiritual maturation, you need, you need a spiritual father or mother in, this, in whatever instance because they're the progenitor. It means that the spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers have to have the responsibility because they're the one that generates, supports, and upholds the next generation of believers, the next generation of apostles and prophets and industry leaders. Its root progenitor is in generation. And as we said, to pro, pro is a force that pushes something forward into the future. And genitor means to generate, to start, to beget. It means that they are birthing you out. And it implies that the father is the force that provides the power you need that propels and pushes the next generation forward. It is not, it's not, a spiritual father doesn't keep you stagnant. It doesn't keep you where they are. Your spiritual father is the initiator or the source that starts and sustains and supports whatever is begotten by the heavenly father. It's a generator. I'm going to say it again. Progenerator. It means the force that propels you starts right here. Propels you. The father is the source of a new generation. Has the responsibility to make certain that you keep moving forth. And in this season, I decree and declare that God is going to anoint your spiritual fathers with the force of grace, with the force of wisdom, and with the force of the anointing to become the catalyst that causes you to become greater than them, to succeed, to boom, to flourish, to thrive, to progress, and to prosper. As a progenitor of a new nation, God spoke to the nation of Israel like a father with his children. And he said in Deuteronomy 1 and 11, the Lord God of your fathers, your progenitors, make you a thousand times more, so many more as you are, and bless you as he has promised. And so the progenitor pushes you into destiny, pushes you into prosperity, so that you can outperform the previous generation. You're going to outperform. It means also that those forefathers or founding fathers means that they went before you to start a great ancestral line. Ancestral line. The father begins the heritage, but the seed carries it on as a legacy. And we are carrying on the legacy, the works of those that went before us in function, in assignment, and in purpose. In the United States of America, we call it the founding 
fathers. And earlier I said, we don't have to be afraid of the wolf at the door, but we do need to be concerned about the termites on the floor. The foundation is always built upon spiritual fathers. And what we have now is a generation that is characterized by being fatherless. We are growing up in a fatherless generation. And we're growing up with a fatherless generation in the natural, but also spiritual. It was Paul that said, ye have not many fathers. And so it is my prayer that even as God um, continues to give us a revelation of spiritual maturation, I decree and declare that God would raise you up as spiritual fathers and mothers, progenitors, progenitors, individuals that provide the force and the support and the skill and the principles and the tools that pushes the next generation forth. That progenitor provides the nourishment, the protection, the teaching, the discipline, the leadership, the care, the compassion. They carry that and they bring that into the equation. And I decree that God would raise this generation up, that what we didn't get in our generation, the next generation will not suffer because the buck stops with us. Our Father and our God will give you praise and glory. The teaching is, is one that is dear to your heart because you are our Heavenly Father. And I pray, Father, for those that are spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers that in their lifetime, they never had a covering. They never had someone that provided this level of covenant. But now you have given them the truth. And I pray that they would develop those skills and that they will be able to present a new model of leadership as spiritual mothers and fathers within this generation to push the next generation into destiny. I pray that you would breathe upon this message and that you would continue to allow it to reverberate as revelation, that we would be able to feast off of it and use the principles to apply it in our own life. Now unto him who is able to do the exceeding abundantly above all who we can ask or think. It's according to the power that works in us. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a production of the Awakening Podcast Network. Jennifer LeClaire is the founder and owner of APN. Our heart is to inspire people and exalt Jesus with every broadcast. We're grateful for our advertisers and supporters that make these podcasts possible.